Welcome to episode 13 of Spokes with producer and founder of the Canton Film Fest, James Waters. You're listening to the Red Bicycle Media Spokes Podcast, a show about the experiences of a film production house and the people they work with in the film industry, with your host, James Pizarro. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for spending time with us again today. Um, a lot of you have may have already heard that our Tribeca-funded documentary, The Session, is now available to stream through the Cleveland International Film Festival site. It's part of SIF's 44 Streams program. For either an $8 fee or a $75 all-access plan, you can watch that and most movies that were to be screened in Cleveland. I think this is a great opportunity to at least see some of these films that really because of time and the way they're presented is really impossible to watch these because of just the physicality of going to each of the theaters. So um, I really suggest you, you hop on. I'm sure there's many good films and we're going to dive into that now that we have the time. This is only available to Ohio residents only till April 28th. So stay tuned for announcements regarding a nationwide or worldwide release. I want to thank everybody for supporting the movie and I especially want to thank Conrad Miles and Chris Webb, the directors of the session, for having me involved in the piece. They did a great job directing and really bringing the heart of what Crump is all about. So I really suggest you watch it if you get a chance. This brings us today to our guest, James Waters, who is a good friend of mine, and uh, we've worked on several projects together. And he really discussed his role as a producer and also what um, other aspects of being a a producer are in in films as well as commercial work. He uh, started off as uh, a production assistant in Chicago, I think spent uh, a couple years in LA and then has since come back to Canton and founded the Canton Film Festival. He's a great guy and really fun to work with. Uh, Without further ado, James Waters. Well, first of all, how have you been staying busy during this time? Doing a lot of uh, uh, family stuff during this time versus uh, a lot of work stuff, which is this is usually the the start of the busy season for film production in Northeast Ohio. Have you been able so, to stay busy? So busy, different busy. So it's kind of like wearing a different hat of like, you know, taking on the role of, you know, helping teach a second grader, you know, make sure they get all their schoolwork done and, uh, and all that fun stuff. So, it's actually been a, you know, kind of an eye-opening experience to really see, you know, kind of what, you know, like teachers bring to the table and the level of patience that they have, you know, in their day-to-day career. Like, sometimes I think we kind of get caught up uh, in the film industry because we're very, like, everything's got to happen right now. And, you know, we're able to get the job done. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if we're kind of met for sitting during the time of a pandemic, but then, you know, like just, it's been interesting having a transition in roles a little bit. Well, how did, uh, let's, uh, let's switch gears on how you got started and what got you into the film world. So way back when, um, when I was in college, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to major in. And I think the best advice my dad ever gave me was, um, you know, find a job that you love because it will never feel like you're going to work. Um, so I'd went to a couple colleges my first two years, 
had a sports medicine major, a business management major. And although I enjoyed both of those, I just didn't love them. So I think it would have been very laborious to either be in either one of those careers. Um, and then I stumbled upon film studies uh, and production at Bowling Green State University in Ohio. Um, and I was like, hmm, I love movies. I love business. They kind of go hand in hand. So I want to be a producer. And then from that day forward, it kind of just uh, snowballed into, you know, taking those film classes and understanding cinema and then production. And then, you know, as soon as I graduated from college, I actually drove to Chicago, handed out resumes like door to door. I graduated on a Saturday. Drove to Chicago on a Sunday. Monday morning, woke up and had a little map already mapped out to go to a bunch of different production companies. Um, and then went door to door handing out resumes. And then uh, one of the places I went to was called Crossroads Films in Chicago. Um, and Joanne Bittman, their executive producer there, said, hey, I have a job in a month that will hire you for a cut rate you know, five days worth of work. You just have to have a Chicago phone number and like you're hired. So that's when my freelance career started in uh, Chicago, working on a furniture commercial. So did uh, I imagine that, first of all, there's a couple uh, um, things that I wanted to uh, kind of unpack is that, you know, usually when people go into film, they, they think, well, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to uh, be behind the camera or I'm going to you know, maybe uh, go into editing or whatnot. How did you know that producing would be your strong suit? I'll go even further back from when I used to play with, of all things, like G.I. Joe's or toys or whatever. I would systematically organize what all was happening, whether it was in a battle or whatever, like, this team over here was like had to move this for then this to happen so then the whole story could be like put together and like come together you know and, and basically that's what a producer does he kind of brings all the toys to the party and allows like the different you, you know what every department's doing you know art department needs these things and it's going to cost this much to be in this location and you need this many trucks and this, these people have to park here. Now you have 50 people. There's, you need bathrooms. So you, you understand the logistics of like how the day moves. And then you bring it all together to allow like the creativity to form and, you know, to end up with a good project in the end. So uh, then uh, finishing your first job, uh, getting that for a furniture commercial uh, done. First of all, how did that go? You know what? It was, uh, it was hard. I'm not going to lie, but it was hard because I made it hard. Um, cause I threw myself into it. Any department, if they needed help, I was like, let me help you carry that couch in, you know, the art department, you know, like production, you need me to go pick up lunch. I'm going to pick up lunch. You just set up tables and chairs and tents. And I did that. You need me to go make copies. You know, I want that, you know, I want to do that. You need help setting up hair and makeup. You know, I kind of like instantly emerged myself. To one, meet as many people that do this for a living, you know, because there was probably like 
40 people on a call sheet that were working on this job. And then, uh, and then just to also really understand and figure out how everything works. Um, and that's kind of like through my production assistant experience is what I did. I embedded myself as in many departments that I could. So I understood what I'd be doing as a producer because, um, later, later on in my career, when I was working in LA, I was production manager at Spot. And there was like, uh, an invoice that we got from um, a grip company. Then that brings you know all the grip gear and all the fun stuff. And there was like a random thing on their invoice that I caught that I was like, "We're not using this. Like, why are you charging for this?" Um, and the guy was like, "In 30 years of me, you know, driving this truck to set, nobody has ever asked me about that." It was basically a casing for like an underwater thing that. They just kind of put on the bill to see if people will pay it, and most people will pay it. But because I was aware of, you know, different equipment and you know things that were needed, you know, we were able to save like two hundred bucks on a rental. Did the uh, uh, higher ups uh, realize that you just saved them some money? Oh yeah, and they were thrilled. And that, that's that's kind of when you get the opportunities to move up when you catch stuff like that. Like you start thinking. Like, how can we make this the most efficient, successful production as possible? Because, you know, especially with commercials, you know, um, some of these commercials cost millions of dollars, you know, but just because it costs millions of dollars doesn't mean, mean the production company is making millions of dollars. So you have to make sure that you catch the expenses, that you're also fair with crew. You know, you understand, like, you know, the union hours, you know, like, when you're working with the union crew, you know, if you go overtime by an hour and you got 20 people in overtime, like, you're losing thousands of dollars an hour, you know. So you really have to be cognizant of, of what your needs are, you know, how many people are there to get a job done, how are you going to get a job done, you know, kind of et cetera, et cetera. And I think that you know, the higher ups definitely start to notice that. They're like, we want this guy because he's protecting the project. It's not a, an issue of also being cheap because there's a lot of producers, I think, who try to like cut all the costs. Then they try to make all the money. But it's like, how can you be smart with the budget that you have, maximize it, get the most out of everything, and everybody's happy and proud of the job that they make at the end of the day. So how did you end up then going, were you uh, basically based in Chicago and then ended up in LA through uh, so, yeah. connections and, or did you just basically stay in Chicago for a few uh, years? So I was actually in Chicago for a little bit over a year and then, um, and I was always interested in moving to LA because that's kind of the big time. That's, that's when you're like, you know, on every major set and studio and, you know, that's that's what you dream to be, right? It's the big league. Um, so I had a cousin that wanted to move, that I had somebody to move with, which was good. It's kind of, you know, in your early 20s, it's a little scary to move across country, you know, being from the Midwest. Um, I had family in Chicago, so I had a good support system there. Um, but I had met so many people from California that I knew that through my networking, I'd have a chance to at least still work need to work in Los Angeles. So actually, a Chicago director, I worked with a job 
in Chicago, and then he had another job with Dennis Miller on Universal Studios three days later. So we wrapped the job on a Friday. I packed my car up, left on a Saturday, drove straight out to Los Angeles, and was pulled into Universal Studios that Monday with my car packed full of stuff and, you know, went right to work, you know, for my first day, you know, in, in town there. So what was your uh, role there on that project? I was just a production assistant on, on that, you know, but it was, uh, it was a good opportunity because most producers would never hire somebody that they didn't know, you know, but the director himself like vouched for me because he was comfortable working with me in Chicago, <clears throat> knew that I would do a good job and figure out whatever I needed to figure out. And this was also pre, um, you know, smartphones and, and anything of that nature. So like you had to figure out on a map where exactly where you're going, you know, like how am I going to get from, you know, I'd never been to California before that day. Um, you know, like how do I even get the Universal Studios back lot? You know, um, and then you just you you just went all in and just went after it. You know, you had to have a you have to have a certain level of tenacity and perseverance to be in the film business. When did you finally reach a, a point in in LA that you felt like okay, I can handle this, and I knew the lay of the land, and I'm able to manage um, you know a reasonably sized uh, production? Um. I would say probably about, I always felt confident that I could handle just about anything um, because of those experiences that I had. Like the year in Chicago, like as many departments as I could learn from, you know, I was coordinating commercials um, for big agencies and big clients, you know, in, from leaving Chicago. Um, I'd work with the AD department to understand like how they structured it. Today. You know, I think all those, all those moments gave me an opportunity to really understand the grander scale of things. And then like the nice part about production is it's scalable. Like, you know, you can shoot with a two person crew or you, I could shoot with a hundred person crew. Like I could play in kind of both of those worlds and kind of know how it would work. So James, a lot of people don't understand uh, really what a producer does. From my understanding, they do everything. But can you delineate the different types of uh, producers and uh, how, what the pecking order is, and and maybe explain to our audience what what the what their roles are? So usually, an executive producer is the person cutting the check. Um, they're either the person that's in charge of all the money, you know, whether it's from a studio that you know they deem them as like kind of the go between to make sure you know. Um, the money is being distributed properly and, and any of that sort of thing, or they're like the investor in the project. Um, so that's why they get top billing. It's, you know, their dollars making this thing come together. Um, a line producer is just focused on all the numbers all the time. Um, so like, you know, if you're, you're working on a six week movie, you know, there's a lot of costs that go in for that six weeks. And if you don't stay on top of those numbers, you know, you can't just, you can try to, you know, organize it all at the end, but you might be a million dollars over budget. And if you're a small, like independent production, a million dollars is a lot of money. 
it's also a lot of money to an Avengers movie. So that's why they have so many live producers to make sure that, you know, special effects is staying on time and budget, you know, um, those sort of things to make sure everything's kind of moving smoothly, you know, with the dollar signs. Um, live producers are important because if you're not on top of your budget, you don't know how many crew you can hire for a day. You know, you don't hire enough crew for a day. You can back your project two or three days, and now you're definitely in the red instead of in the black. Or, you know, at the end of the day, this is also a business. It's a creative business, but you want to be you want to be in the black. Um, but then, kind of like overall, like general producer. Is kind of the person that like keeps the project moving, has his hands in all the departments, making sure that everybody's on the same page, um, and working towards getting that final, you know, film or project together, you know, the best way possible. Um, a lot of times you get associate producers. Um, those can occasionally be like, you know, people that aren't quite as involved, but might have been like side investors in the project. Um, maybe like friends of the project that they're just, you know, getting a credit as like, you know, these guys kind of helped out, you know, they were more important, you know, to kind of helping this whole thing get made, but they're not really like on the day to day, like doing a specific job. And then, you know, from producers, you have production managers, production coordinators, office PAs any of those sort of things. Did you find that there is, since you've done both commercial and narrative work, did you find that there's a, a huge difference in, in your role, just say as a, a as a producer and, um, you know, being able to kind of manage uh, a set? Uh, how, how did that work? So the film business is definitely a young business, uh, hands down, but um, it depends on how you balance you know what you decided is young because you can be young but have a ton of experience and uh and be able to kind of hold your own like i had the opportunity at like 26 to start producing stuff we had a short film that aired in the sci-fi network that uh fred savage was in so that was a great opportunity to fully produce something um and have you know a big crew of people and kind of see the whole spectrum of everything kind of whirlwind and come together. Um, but I think as you age, almost producing becomes easier because you've made all the contacts across the board. So you have, you've made the mistakes by the time. If, if you're still in the game, you know, when you're 40 plus years old, you've made, you've made the mistakes to still be there and, and make it almost easier on everybody else. And then what made you kind of jump and favor commercial work versus uh, uh, narrative? Narrative stuff because um, it's great for like the long, the long paycheck. And honestly, like what I noticed was like, uh, even from first starting out, when you would uh, be a PA on a commercial, your day rate would be like $200 a day, um, you know, versus maybe $75 a day to be in a feature film, right? So that's less than half of a commercial rate. So my goals are always to be like, how can I work as much as possible on commercials because I'm going to make more money? Um, 
and I was blessed throughout my career to, you know, be able to book myself pretty, pretty frequently on uh, commercials. Like there were times where I would go from a night shoot, which would basically shoot all night, to then go prep another job starting the next morning. You know, so I don't advise that. It's not the 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 best way to do it, but I was a little crazy in my twenties to go kind of nonstop. Um, and just kind of really get after it because you just wanted to do that. However, I will say you can burn yourself out. And that was a lesson learned as well. Um, there was, and, you know, cause I would book myself sometimes 20 or 30 straight days at a time if I could, you know, and then like even have like a weekend job on the side, um, when I worked in Chicago and, uh, I'll never forget. I was on, um, Oprah gets online show where she, she like, she's being taught from like Jeff Bezos and Jerry Yang about the internet. And this was the early 2000s. Um, and I totally overslept and I was in charge of picking up, uh, talent that had to be there on time. Um, luckily the guy was, you know, pretty, pretty smart to like take his own cab, but you know, you kind of burn that bridge. Like, because the biggest thing about production is trust. You got to trust the people you work with. Um, so like making a mistake like that was not good. So, you know, then from that point on, I learned, you know, you have to say no sometimes to be at your best for the job that you are on. And then that's kind of the only way to work out. Like that early philosophy is just like work as much as you can, which is good, but it has its faults because you're going to burn yourself out. Because this job isn't a nine to five, you know, it could be a six in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, back up at four o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, you know, like your hours are just crazy. So I think that's why Red Bulls work well on set. <laughs> well, how are you staying uh, connected uh, now as far as uh, work? Is it basically through agency work or uh, agencies contacting you or small production houses, or do you have an affiliation with uh, any production houses? I have a lot of direct-to-director contacts. So, um, for example, like um, the past two years, I've worked with an agency out of uh, Charleston, West Virginia, and a director out of West Virginia to do the uh, to produce the West Virginia lottery campaign. Um, so that relationship was built, and it, it's just nice to know that, like, all right, we're going to come together. This is what needs to happen. You know, he trusts me to, like, make sure all the details are done. You know, shows up, stuff's on set, we knock it out. You know, we won some nice, like, Addy Awards for those spots, and, uh, and it kind of goes that way. And then also, you know, from being from Northeast Ohio, there's a lot of direct-to-client work that, uh, that pops up um, that you're just, you know, working directly with the client, you know, whether it's web branding videos, you know, TV, you know, Facebook advertising. I think there's so many outlets. I think you have to be a little more versatile you know, now, and then even, even like in Hollywood, there isn't killer crazy budgets anymore of what commercials used to be, you know, like when shooting on film, you know, like they would have to be, you know, a hundred grand or more, you know, now with a video camera, you know, clients want to pay like five grand, 
or something. So there's there's a big like difference kind of of everything. I think the perception is that it's so expensive to hire a producer. It's another line item that we're just going to try to get by on. How, how do you try to convince people to say that it's it's maybe uh, an extra line item? You're paying actually another another person, but how do you convince them that it's to their advantage to hire you early and get you involved as early as possible to to make the production go smoother, and in turn, you know, be able to turn not only a better project but a, a smoother working project for the clients. Um, that's you know, honestly, that's only the balance because um, you know a, a lot of smaller productions look to try to like cut costs as much as possible, make it easier just for them to produce something. Um, and what happens a lot of times is you don't get as good of a final finished product because if you're trying to like direct, produce, run sound, use the camera, do all those things. And it's not just producing, it's, it's any, you know, art department gets cut quite often, you know, but those are the little details that I think really allow you a chance to be successful in this industry. Like you need a team of people that are very good at what they do to bring a project together rather than, you know, just one guy doing everything on their own. You know, I mean, shooting an interview, you know, interviews are pretty, you know, basic, right? But to really shoot like a narrative, you know, commercial spot, like you need the right amount of people to make it as good as possible. And that spot could lead you to the next big spot. Do you think the paradigm shifting to, you'd mentioned teams is to almost form these smaller uh, crews, if you will. And, you know, the, the people you've developed relationships with and kind of form your own um, band, if you will, and, and be able to uh, get these projects accomplished, not only under budget, but uh, at, at, the, at a high quality and also, uh, you know, being stealthy. Uh, do you think the paradigm shifting toward that type of work? Um, I think yes and no. And I think it depends on what scale um, the budget is. Because um, I think you get a lot of, like myself personally, I prefer the kind of non-union setup that, you know, that I get to work with the people that I want to work with. You know, people that I consider friends that are also going to call you, you know, kind of on your shit, so to speak, right? You know, that are going to keep you honest throughout the course of time. You know, some of these sets can be inflated with you know people are telling you how great you are and you haven't even made anything great yet um you know there there's a lot of extras and things that happen on a bigger set compared to like you know medium to smaller set you know that they could happen um but what i've learned as i've kind of aged in this business is that i prefer to work with the people that i care about because i know that they care about me as well and they care about the project so if you can find that group of people, I think that's that's the special thing to really make good projects. If there's ever a thing that, that you'd emphasize right now on what you've experienced and, and learned in, in the past, what is the major take-home message in getting involved in any production? I would say really develop your relationships because that's, that's the biggest thing. The, the film business is very small. so. You know, if you come off, you know, half cocked, a little too cocky about stuff, like eventually that's going to burn out. Um, you want to be able to build those relationships 
because you never know who's going to work on what when and you know people rise up together so if you can build solid relationships make good contacts i think those are the biggest things so do you have a guess do you favor a guess on what's going to happen after uh the um the covid19 um situation has hopefully blown over how do you think things are going to shift at that time well um i think the biggest thing is things are going to move to because audience dictates everything that we do um so i think you know in this last couple of weeks we've seen you know pay-for-play tv kind of uh falter um streaming has picked up um so i think there's going to be a push for content with that said i just think that the safety of like crew and interaction and talent and, and all those elements will be kind of in limbo at first because i think people will be a little scared to you know try to get in the room with a bunch of people you know so i think the people that get invited to the show will be scaled down um so i think by having a good solid team that can do a lot of different things will allow you to create like good content for whoever that client is um i think the only way this 100 percent gets close to back to how it was is if some vaccine is made people feel really safe to kind of you know not social distance so much um so it's definitely going to be an interesting time but i think I think a flood of content is coming after they kind of release this stuff. Like you can tell a lot of people who've been out of work now for a month, month and a half, um, where they're already coming out of a slow winter season or, you know, gnawing at the bit per se to really get after, you know, shooting a lot of things. And I think the economy will also dictate what, what happens with our workflow as well. Um, you know, because you need you need clients, you need people to to invest in a movie or or whatnot as well. But I I feel like you know with the Wall Street going up and down, but still kind of going back up now. Uh, I think there's hope, and I I think there's going to be a lot of work to be done. Have you also been uh, continuing to write on the side? Uh, you have a couple of scripts that you're actually working on. Is that uh, something you're still trying to attend to, or have those been put on the shelf? Um, a little balance of both. It, it, it's, it's a catch. Like the first week was almost like shock week, where you're like, is this really happening? Is the world ending? Is it The Walking Dead? Because we do work in production, so we are a little dramatic about things, right? Um, then the second week, you're just like, oh, well, all right, this will kind of, this might go for another week. We'll be all right. And then week three, you're like, well, I should probably do something, you know, productive and like spend an hour writing and, you know, trying to learn something new and, you know, understanding new software, you know, and then, uh, and then by the fourth week, you're like, man, I got all these projects that are in limbo. Like, let me start cleaning these up. Let's uh, let's work on some things, you know, um, because you're basically just kind of like locked in your house and you can't do much. So um, 
but you start reaching out to people and you know you're, you're touching base with people during the whole time and you know making sure that your team's all right and you know what what new things can we work on you know when this is all over so so i think there's a lot of things going on creatively and then um also it's a good time to just you know take a breath appreciate the fact that you know we don't dig ditches for a living we get a chance to make cool things work with you know, $100,000 cameras and, you know, people on TV are going to watch the stuff that we make, you know, like it's, it's kind of cool to realize that, uh, you know, throughout this pandemic, you know, content has been a very important thing for the sanity of the rest of the world. You know, a hundred years ago when uh, the flu happened, you know, people didn't have that luxury. They couldn't just stay at home and, and pop on Netflix and, you know, as silly as the show is, watch the Tiger King or, you know, or Disney Plus or, you know, any of those things. So, um, I definitely agree that, um, we didn't have those outlets and I, I do believe it's keeping people sane, uh, just to, uh, kind of have that opportunity to get that, that entertainment. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, what if it weren't for Tiger King? I mean, what would I be doing? Um, right. <laughs> exactly. Hey, uh, so tell me about your role in the Canton Film Festival. So uh, the Canton Film Festival, this would have been the ninth year. Uh, unfortunately, we had to, they canceled the actual festival at the uh, Canton Palace Theater. Um, we might look to do, depending on how long um, they extend, you know, uh, the stay-at-home orders for, um, we're trying to put together maybe a, like a little streaming festival uh in may to have a couple of uh you know film show you know directors kind of talk about their piece um maybe have a couple special guests to do a little live stream with us q a um but basically you know the film festival started um about 10 years ago when i was teaching uh video production at stark state I would have a lot of uh, wonderful students that would take intro to video. And then when it was time for them to take their, their second year course, they were gone. They were, and I'd see them in the hallway and I'd be like, you know, what happened? They're like, oh, my parents don't think I can get a job in this. So I'm going to like take accounting or, you know, uh, I don't know, anything, you know, dental hygiene, who knows, um, which all those are very important roles. But it was kind of sad to see that they didn't really see a future in themselves working in production. Um, so I kind of coined the Camp Film Festival as a learning fest, where there's an opportunity to showcase like your work and see like other people in the region's work um, to kind of compare yourself to one to also network with other filmmakers in the area um, too. And then also bring in a couple of experts in the field from, that grew up in the Midwest and now work in, you know, whether Hollywood or like Atlanta or, or New York, um, that are actually making it in the business and making things. Um, like our first year, we had uh, a writer, director, and then uh, he kind of switched into horror, the horror genre, Drew Daywalt. Um, you grew up in, in Ohio. Um, became a screenwriter. 
directed a film with uh, Stifler from American Pie uh, called Star Raving Mad. Um, then they had a big union strike. So then he pivoted and started making horror movie shorts on the internet and got a big following in the horror genre. And then decided to write a kid's book, um, which I think is now being uh, created into a full animated film by Disney. So um, it's kind of crazy. And then so it's like, here's a guy from Northeast Ohio who decided to go after his dream and he's living it, you know. Um, we've had guys like Eddie McClintock, who's an actor, um, who grew up in North Canton, Ohio, who got his break in a Super Bowl Coors Light commercial and then was on Warehouse 13 for many seasons as the lead actor. You know, he's been in Modern Family. You know, he's cameoed in a, in a ton of uh, television series. So, you know, and then you have a chance to, you know, as an audience member, just like meet those people and ask them anything you want and, you know, see that that could be me. Like, so if out of the, the 10 years of doing this, if I've had one person that says, hey, I believe in myself, you know, I can I can take this as a, a legitimate career path. You know, I, I think we've done our job. I know it's like any other thing. It's uh, akin to telling your folks that, you know, I'm going to go join a band and, uh, or be an artist. You know, you just get a lot of eye rolls from your parents and say, that's, that's a, you know, that's a tough way for you to make a living. But if you can get inspired and know that there's different ways that you can, you don't need to be winning awards or being, you know, uh, taken by film festivals. If you find a niche that you actually like and are able to make a decent living out of, uh, like you said, you know, you never feel like you're working a day in your life, right? You're actually enjoying it. Exactly. So, James, so that's kind of been the philosophy of the film festival, just to, you know, bring a lot of like-minded people together and then just to really show that, you know, it's possible. Like, don't give up on your dreams. You know, there's it, hopefully we've created some different support systems. So that's awesome. So, James, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Hey, anytime, James. For you, anything. <laughs> where, so where can we find you if we need your uh, your uh, expertise as being a producer? I'm, only, I'm always tricky to find. So um, the best way is probably social media, just uh, to hunt me down on Facebook or, uh, or some way of that nature. Um, we also have a website for the Canton Film Festival, so cantonfilm.com. Um, and I believe my email is attached there too. So if there's any questions or if you have an idea or if you need help, like I'm always, I'm always willing to help, uh, new filmmakers, old filmmakers, any filmmakers, you know, whatever and however I can. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Thank you too. And that was James Waters on this week's podcast. I really enjoyed talking to James and hopefully you got as much out of it as I did. Please remember to leave a rating and review on all podcasting platforms. And if you have any feedback or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Just leave them in the comment section on whatever you're listening to. Hopefully this helps us bring you a better product. And if you have any guests or, or, or topics that you'd like to talk about, we'd love to hear from you as well. Talk to you next time and please stay safe.